the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. Welcome to the show. This is the Boys of Tech, episode 291 for Wednesday, the 20th of August, 2014. My name is Edwin Herman. I'm in the studio here in Wellington, joining me over a Skype connection, but also on a cold Wellington morning is Brett King. Welcome Hello. to the show. Hey, Brett, how you doing? Cold. Okay, well, we'll keep uh, we'll keep moving so uh, so we can stay warm. Brett, it is a show going out on a Wednesday. I have been under the weather with some flu-like bug for quite a while, and I was unable to do the show on our usual time Monday morning. So, a couple of days later, it is, and uh, and here we are to talk about two quick stories, which really went. In fact, it was kind of quite timely that there wasn't really a lot happening, so I didn't really miss much whilst I was uh, whiling away the days in bed. Uh, the two the two stories I just wanted to bring up really one was um, <laughs> about something that we all love to hate on the internet pop up ads oh aren't they terrible Brad what are pop up ads uh, I haven't you, seen a pop up well, ad in years you, you've got a pop up blocker haven't you yes yeah and that and that's proof that people uh, you know like yourself really really hate these things. Well, the reason I, I want to talk about these is because the man credited with implementing the first pop-up ad, Ethan Zuckerman, says, I'm sorry. <laughs> As you damn well should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if it wasn't going to be him, it was going to be someone else. We know that, right? <laughs> was, well, probably. I'm sure it would have happened. See, he was working for, uh, who was he working for? Tripod.com, I think. Yeah. Mm. And they tried a bunch of different marketing uh, or rather uh, revenue models, and the ad model worked the best. And uh, th- so they had these ads. Obviously, they did not try very hard. <laughs> well, let me tell you how it came about, how the pop-up one came about, because they had these ads that weren't pop-up ones. They were just you know, standard banner ads and so on. And then a uh, an advertiser took exception to the, the, the sort of website that the, the ad was running on. And so they came up with this, so Zuckerman came up with this idea of sort of disassociating the ad from the content, and they did that by having the ad run in a pop-up window. But so so that what- just creates something even more annoying, and as we know from any usability study, you never bring something up which detracts from the content of the site. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, the advertiser was happy. Of course the advertiser was happy. The advertiser would have been more happy if their ad had taken up the entire front page of the website that it was embedded on. <laughs> they would have been much more happy about that. The advertisers uh, yeah. are always happy to annoy their customers, get in their faces. Mm, that's <laughs> right. And, well, you know, uh, <laughs> so Suckerman has sort of come out and he says, I'm sorry, our intentions were good. So there you go. Uh, yeah. So that little gem was out there the, in the week just been, I, I picked up on it and I thought, well, that was an, that would be a kind of a cool story to talk about. And there we are. Here we are now talking about it. Indeed. Ethan indeed. Zuckerman. Yeah. yeah they, they should never have come up with it. They should never <laughs> well, have implemented it. 
somebody else might have come up with it, but somebody else might not have. Yeah, well, that's also true, yeah. Other people might have gone, you know what, we should not create something that is going to annoy anybody like that. Let's just not implement it. And then people might never have in, implemented it at all. Just because one person, one place created it does not mean it was inevitable to be created. Yeah, well, that's true. And, and you know, of course, this gave rise to the pop under ads, you know, where you go to a website and you don't know it, but behind your window... Which is, is an ad so waiting for you. insidious because a lot of pop under bypass pop-up ad blockers. Oh, do they? Yeah. So, of course, when you close your window, you're left with this ad window. It's like, ah, what are you doing here? Go away. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Things we ate on the internet. And there you go. Uh, well, you know, he was only doing his job, though, Brett, right? Well, of course, he was only doing his job. It was whoever came up with the original ad, well, whoever agreed that advertising and that uh, it putting things manner. into mm. people's faces and taking away control of what page the person was actually going to was a good idea is the person to blame yep. and they should be blamed <laughs> blamed and you know you still monkey finger at them <laughs> we still get pop-up ads don't we Brett yes Although well, I, I, people I, who don't have pop-up blockers yeah, still sure. get pop-up ads yeah sure but I was going to ask you though you use a pop-up blocker but how does that affect sites that require a pop-up? Well, the pop-up blocker I use is I use Opera and Opera has an inbuilt pop-up blocker. And what it does is it puts a little notification when a site is wanting to put a pop-up. And the, the, the notification just kind of pops, well, it slides in f- under the radar in the, the bottom right-hand corner of the, of the, the browser and then slides away. Um, and if you want to open up that pop-up, you just need to click on that little notification when it comes up. Uh, okay. Otherwise, yeah, it's just a, a subtle little thing which fades in and fades out. Okay, I see. That, well, that kind, kind of like the, the Outlook new mail notification. Right, okay, yep, gotcha. Yep, that, that's a good way of doing it too because, I mean, it, it draws your attention to the fact that, hey, something's there, but you don't have yep. to see what that thing is. Indeed, you don't have to see it, you don't have to interact with it, and it disappears, and it does not take away control. So you can still be control doing stuff on that web page while that little notification is coming up saying, hey, this page has tried to do a pop-up, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so you can turn that notification off if you want. But oh, like okay. you said, some web pages do pop-ups. They, they still do pop-ups for things like logging in and such. Yeah. yeah. And that they, yeah, they haven't keyed into the whole, you know, HTML5 and then style sheets and all of the inbuilt <laughs> inbuilt app functionality for doing those sorts of hey, things. Maybe retro is a deliberate design for some websites. I don't know. Well, it's a poor design because <laughs> yeah. it's inaccessible. Yeah, you, it is. Yeah, that's it, right. Inaccessible and distracting. And if they're wanting to get it in the face of the most people, they should be making things as as accessible as possible. Because then you'll get in the face of everybody. Mm. Now, Brett, uh, recently a number of sites were inaccessible. I think uh, this is early last week, if I remember correctly. And we're talking about big sites like uh, eBay, Amazon, Autotrader, LinkedIn, Verizon. Oh, did somebody spill beer on a root server or something? (laughs) Yeah, probably was. Well, 
Okay, maybe not. But uh, see, the thing is, there's a number of issues that are the, the internet's kind of. I wouldn't say grinding to a halt, but there's bits that are sort of locking well, up a little it's, bit. It's reaching it, critical mass for the current state of the technology that was designed, you know, several decades ago, and not designed to accommodate the massive growth that that's right. seen. That's right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And and so one of the things. Is this? I mean, because of course you got to remember that the internet is really a network of networks, and uh, these networks, if you like, are are met by BGP routers, and they kind of store a, a, a if you like, a, a table, a list a, that effectively creates a map of where to route traffic. Mm-hmm. And what does BGP stand for, Edwin? Oh, BGP Border Gateway Protocol, I believe. Okay, does that sound right? Did yep. I get it right? Yes, you did. <laughs> Good. <laughs> And so, Just making sure you mentioned the words so that our listeners would be able to tell what a BGP router was. They did not worry Absolutely. You know. <laughs> it's, you're doing the right thing as a host. So most, and, and this is the thing, that most of the sort of older routers out there, and there's a lot of, a lot of them out there that, um, you know, that kind of run the backbone, or the backbones, I should say, um, you know, they've got this sort of default software limit of 512,000 table entries. And that kind of used to be enough to get by. But uh, <laughs> on Tuesday last week, a lot of them reached its limit of, of 512K. And they call, oh, they're calling it 512K. Let me guess. What happened when they reached their 512th one is it attempted to add a 512,001th entry <clears throat> and it crashed. Well, I don't know. Did they crash or did they simply just not add them? I, I don't know. But uh, things- Did it crash? Did it simply lock up? Um, I'm not sure. Would- I think the routing it would be it would be adding new entries for new routes, but all of the old routes that pre-existed for getting to places such as eBay, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, should already exist in there. So the only reason things would fall off is if something made the router stop routing to the yeah, old stuff. See, I'm not sure exactly uh, how they treat well, what they do when they they reach a limit. To be quite honest, but what I do know. Is that well? If it hasn't been the, coded properly, then it probably freezes. <laughs> well, uh, what what I can tell you is certainly it caused issues, and and you know <laughs> sites were not reachable. And the thing is, we're talking about millions and millions of such devices. Uh, we're to- the, these uh, these routers, they yep. so so it's not an easy task to to simply up the limit. In fact, some of them can't be upped for a start. Others, oh yeah, they're uh, too old. They're too old. Uh, others can be, but we're talking millions of them. So, yeah. so yeah, and it's a you're huge... talking, they're not all owned by one group. No. Or no. controlled by, by one but entity. Distributed, or distributed, aren't they? You know, or existing in one even country. That's right. They're, they're all distributed. All around the world. And a lot of them will be running, you know, doing stuff for local areas where the people don't want to turn it off because they don't want to lose, or lose all of their, their access. Yeah. Mm. So they haven't until mm. it's too late. And now and we have this situation to. where, really, I, I think you got to look at the lesser of the two evils. And right now, there are sites that are uh, are not reachable. I, I would say now's a great time to reboot, the, reconfigure, and reboot those routers or replace them. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, and well, of course we're also talking about incredibly expensive pieces of kit. Yeah, I know. They're, yeah. they're not your your less than a hundred dollar router that you've got in your home. No, no, exactly. <laughs> now, of course, the other squeeze we're getting is with IPv4. Cool. But we've known about that squeeze for a long time, and we've had a solution to that squeeze for a long time. Yeah, nobody, I know. Very few people have migrated over. I know. We've been, I, we're kind of like, I mean, you know, 
like university students, we kind of we know there's a deadline looming at some point, and we kind of like leave things until the kind of like the last minute until you really get pressured to. Yeah, but haven't we really been at the last minute for IPv4 for quite some time and we've been doing workarounds? Like, you know, know, network address translation, which used to just be for private networks, is now being used for parts of the larger internet and CIDR, what is it? Um, class interdomain routing, all of these different things to, to get over the fact that yeah, I know. places crazy, are out of IP addresses. It, it's crazy, I know. And I mean, this is the thing, you know, IPv4 has uh, will, will support up to 4.3 billion addresses. At the time, they thought that was enough. Uh, it turns out not to be the case, and we need no. a whole heap more. So, of course, I, IPv6 will provide a whole heap. Of, how many of them? 340? Under cillion. which is how many zeros? Lots. Uh, lots. <laughs> yeah. Not quite a Google, but... No, not quite a Google, but... but a lot. A, a lot, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, IPv6 is the solution there, but like, as you said, Brett, we've been too slow moving towards it and, yeah. uh, and too la- the, the, almost too lazy to move towards it. Indeed. A lot of really new technology is coming in with, you know, all based around IPv6. Mm. And we've had uh, devices come out for the past, what, 10 years that have been able to support IPv4 and IPv6. Yeah. So there shouldn't be many devices still out there that only support IPv4. No, you're right. Except the really old hardware that runs the backbone of the internet. (laughs) That will be the stuff which will need to actually be replaced by something that is brand Mm. new. And supports yeah. IPv6 because it would not surprise me if some of those, some of the um, hardware that runs the backbone of the internet, is has been doing it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and even the stuff from the you know from the nineties probably would need to be replaced as well from the early nineties. Yeah. You know, so that's another squeeze we're getting. And and uh, now we're seeing, if you like, the fallout from these two things that are kind of squeezing us and, uh, you know, big blackouts on the internet. Who would have thought, eh? Who would have thought, but there you go. So if you haven't been able to reach Facebook or eBay or something, well, this is probably why. Indeed. And Brett, you know, this is kind of all I had really this week for a start. I'm still a little bit under the weather or as I like to say, I twist that around and say the weather is above me still. Yep. So I, I think we'll probably end the show there. And uh, the, look, there wasn't a lot else anyway. Hopefully we'll have some more interesting stories next time. Indeed. Mm. Well, that, you know, on um, Monday's one, we can speculate about what the new iPhone's going to be like. Yeah, that's right. There is definitely, there's, uh, yeah, there's, I've seen some stories about, you know, you know, photo exposed. Is this what the new iPhone 6 is going to be? Uh, and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, we can we can talk about the, that if you like. Um, when is that due out anyway? Have they have Apple set a date? I, I haven't really uh, been following. I believe September, somewhere early September is the announcement, and generally it's like a couple of weeks later that the first product will ship. Right. Okay. I see. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we can certainly talk about some of these speculative uh, comments that have been uh, floating around the internet. Indeed, we could talk about iOS eight and how it's not going to run on my iPhone. Oh, no, you won't be happy about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time to either upgrade your phone or uh, switch <laughs> platforms or something. But um, Indeed. Mm, 
there they're, you go. they're forcing me to upgrade my phone. Mm. That's not on. I'm sure, you know. I've had my as, previous phones for so many, many years. I know, but I'm sure Never you. Never had to be forced to upgrade. <laughs> I know, but I'm sure that you know, as an IT professional, there does come a time where you simply just can't support something that's older than a certain amount. There, there is a threshold but, eventually. Well, yes, but the, the iPhone 4 is not that old. The technology in it is not obsolete. Yeah, but <laughs> even if they they could, surely the processor's not fast enough now. What? Surely the, proce- the processor in the iPhone 4 wouldn't be fast enough to support iOS 8, even if they could get iOS 8 to run on it. Surely really? you, you wouldn't want... Surely you aren't, wouldn't want... Aren't, Aren't you supposed to be going for efficiencies and and all that sort of stuff in in your operating systems? Yeah, but you know the truth, don't you? Down you so they know better stuff. <laughs> you that know was th- one of the, the the big improvements that um, Microsoft came out with. Which one was it? Windows Seven had had slimmed down specifications yeah. because they'd worked on efficiencies to allow it to run on on stuff that was still current at the time, not have to use bleeding edge. Well, anyway, I'm afraid you're going to have to upgrade your phone. Hey, can I have your old one? Anyway, let's talk about that next week. (laughs) Okay, we'll leave it there, Brett. Thank you very much for co-hosting. Always a pleasure, Ed. All right, that was episode 291. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.